Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Mosaic Church. About two years ago, I wrote an article, you can find it at markanthonycrow.com, about Mosaic and how God takes the fragmented pieces of mankind and he puts us together to make a beautiful portrait of his salvation and his grace and his mercy. Um, I will say that if, if you are perfect, you will feel very uncomfortable here today. Uh, <laughs> because you are surrounded by a lot of very imperfect people starting right here and uh, we are so glad that you're here uh, today's a little different uh, it's going to be just a bit different uh, in all of the years that I've pastored beginning in 1994 moved here from South Texas uh, with nothing more than a hope and a dream that God would do something fairly great and to my surprise, he did. Uh, I, I don't think God did it because of me. I think he did it in spite of me. Uh, and God often does that. You know, God doesn't do things because we're great. God does things because he's great. And when we surrender to that greatness, then great things can happen. And so August 7th, uh, 1994, moved here to start a church. Um, things were going great, having fun and uh, April 19th happened and uh, I was fully prepared to preach the weekend following uh, the greatest disaster at that point known to American soil and uh, I was in my office upstairs I, you say why was your office upstairs we didn't have a building I mean we had a little building but we didn't have office space and and so I was officing there getting ready and, and, and the, our house shook. It was like an earthquake and that was back before we had earthquakes. Um, <laughs> now they're just a regular part of our lives. And uh, I ran downstairs at that time. Uh, we had four children. Um, and, and for some reason we ended up having a fifth, which I'm grateful for, but... <laughs> But it was like, I was very concerned because I thought for sure that something downstairs, I really thought we'd had a gas explosion right in our house. It shook so violently. Uh, found out everything was okay and turned on the television and realized on April 19th, uh, the Murrah building was blown up here in Oklahoma City. Began to walk through my neighborhood praying and asking God as a new pastor, not even a year of being a senior pastor, uh, youth pastors don't have to deal with this they just have to deal with crazy kids and so I had dealt with crazy kids for all those years and now all of a sudden I'm a senior leader and I knew that there would be some sort of expectation that I would have some statement and some type of spiritual leadership uh, to help navigate our small church at that time through that 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 disaster tragedy and uh, so I did and then uh, we had 9-11, another moment in time that uh, changed the course of history forevermore. Uh, had to navigate, at that time, thousands of people through that tragedy. Um, 
left here October 2015 and I thought I had run my course in ministry and wasn't all that sad by it thought I won't go back to this and and God speaks to me in January to come back and then all of a sudden this week we have what I think may be possibly potentially one of the most devastating moments in time not because of the number of lives lost but the number of lives that are now being challenged how do we process what happened this past week with the killings of citizens and then the killings of police officers and um, I thought we're a new church we're small enough to dodge the bullet and as I began to pray and read, I realized we, we can't dodge this. Though my influence would appear to be lesser than it was before, nonetheless, I have a position and a platform, I believe, that requires me and us as a church to, to wrestle with this issue. Um, and, and it's a tragedy because there are two sides of, of this very polarizing uh, situation where we have wonderful police force police officers where in every profession including mine um, there are moments that we're not proud of and there are situations and decisions that we make that, that we'll never be proud of and uh, certainly it brings up all kinds of emotions and uh, and our opinions begin to surface maybe feelings and thoughts we've never had before that uh, we have these horrible feelings of hate and anger uh, and uh, I would have to say that I've found it very difficult to land uh, on either side of this because for the first time in my life my daughter-in-law is African-American and I've never felt what I felt this time for fear of her life and my son's life um, I thought, how is this going to be played out when my, my son, who could not be more white, <laughs> is married to my beautiful African princess, daughter-in-law? And, and, and honestly, just being real honest with you, for the first time, I began to feel things I'd never felt before. Because now this woman who I love is a part of my family, and my son could be profiled. And, and it, it, it disturbed me. So as I prayed, I had a message ready for today. And really, you guys know me. I love to preach. I just do. And, and yet, I felt like this, this was something that, that we needed to address. I felt like it was something that needed to be talked about today. And so, um, 22 years ago... Um, about right now actually August 7th started another church here in town and um, it wasn't long after we started the church my son is is a very very good keyboard player and uh, he ran into several young kids that were 12 and 13 years old and uh, Brian Nix, Jaron Nix, and a young man named Josh Belcher. And uh, they had a passion for music. And so we started this youth music program. And these young punks were really good. Uh, and, and so um, 
it was amazing that all of these kids kind of became my kids uh, they really did they were always at my house eating my food um, and hanging out and living in the same neighborhood and so when this all happened I was praying and, and one of those kids just happened to be black african-american kid and grew up in my family and his family became my family my family became his family and his parents became dear friends of mine and ours and and I thought I'm gonna call Josh because not only is Josh black but he's a cop and I thought you know wouldn't it be great to just take a little family time and uh, for us to do something that that I think the world would call risky but I think I call it smart and uh, I think that we, we get to address this because there are some hurting people in our congregation right now. Um, and, and you know what? What I found is if one person's hurting, then it's the job of the rest of us to go hurt with them and to try to feel with them. And, and so, you know, uh, that's what we're going to do today. And so I asked Josh, I texted him, I said, can I call you? course he said yes if he didn't I'd go find him and uh, I, I was just being grown up but you're still my son and so I'd like to ask you if you would to welcome to the stage officer Josh Belcher of the Oklahoma City Police Department thank you We talked in the green room just a little bit before this. Okay, so here you are. Uh, I asked you the question, what happens to you when you hear a call on the radio, shots fired? What's the first thing that goes through your mind? It is, just tell me the first thing that happens when, when that happens. Uh, the first thing that happens is really trying to identify whose voice it is. And uh, so I know who, who needs help, you know. Uh, like I told you, it, it happened the other night, you know. We're, uh, we're on a call and getting ready to go take care of some stuff, and all of a sudden, one of my very good friends gets on the radio and says, hey, headquarters, we got shots fired, shots fired. And I have no idea where he's at. I know he's somewhere close, but I don't know where he's at. I don't know if he's shot. I don't know if he shot somebody else. And so the first thing going in my mind is it's kind of helplessness. It's what do I do? You know? At that point, we talked about adrenaline, and, and I talked to a Chicago police officer one time at a gun range, and I asked him the question. I said, now, we're going to be going in and shooting at targets in a minute. And, and to be honest with you, if you've never shot a gun, just shooting at a target's a little bit of an adrenaline rush. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know you're going to get a little kick. There's going to be a lot of noise. And uh, the real challenge that, that I think we face is not understanding how our body works the adrenaline that happens. So when you get that call, do, would you say your blood pressure goes up, things oh, change? Absolutely. They've, uh, they've actually done studies where they've uh, hooked police officers up to heart monitors while they're sitting in their cars, and they'll monitor their hearts as they're driving around throughout their shift. And, I mean, the spike in, in blood pressure and heart rate that, that it'll, it'll go up when a high-stress call comes out is alarming. I mean, it, it's almost unhealthy. So... Um, but uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to where our department has enough resources to where we uh, will put on yearly and sometimes quarterly, by, by yearly training. And uh, 
we'll do force on force training with some munition guns, and we'll actually try and put ourselves in situations where we can train for actual for the actual situations that might happen. So we, we actually did that last year. We went to our old headquarters building, and we had role players who uh, who were playing hostage takers and that kind of stuff, and they gave us some munition guns, and so we, we practiced tactics, you know, moving through hallways, going into the rooms, identifying the targets, and just dealing with the threat. So delicate issue, uh, not for you and me, but a lot of people don't know how to deal with, with the issue of, of the racial component of this. Um, would, what would you say is the driving force? Is it truly a racial component? Because you're a police officer. So here you are. You, you, you've got to defend the fraternal order. And yet we do see, and there will always be, there's no argument that there is abuse. There's wrong everywhere. How do you take a position in this? What, what is your position? I mean, help us understand how to reconcile this whole happening in Dallas, the shootings, put, you've obviously, when you see what happens in Louisiana, Minnesota, do you put yourself in that place as a police officer? You say, what would I have done? Oh, absolutely. Um, because you, you can't respond to the situation once it happens if you don't try and put your situ- yourself in that situation first. Uh, you always have to run through scenarios. What am I going to do if this happens? And what am I going to do if this happens? Um, you know, I've, I've got family who's on, you know, one side of the spectrum, and then I've got my police family who's on the other side of the spectrum, and uh, it, it can be dividing at times, but the biggest thing, and I actually had this conversation with one of my, uh, one of my cousins the other day during a cookout, because uh, he asked me, you know, what's the, what's the deal with cops, you know, just gunning down all these black people? And uh, it, you're absolutely right, it, it's fear. You know, he's, he's, I'll guarantee you, he's never experienced anything like that but he's afraid that he will because of what he's seen. And so we, we had an open and honest com- uh, conversation. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to explain to him the mindset of police officers when we go into those kind of situations. And it really helped him understand, okay, well, maybe I'm blowing this way out of proportion. Maybe they're not really gunning down people. Maybe they're actually being threatened and they're trying to protect their lives. So all it takes is just talking to each other and listening. You know, people don't want to do that nowadays. They want this is my opinion and you're going to listen to it and you're going to, if you don't go along with it, then get out of my face. But you really have to empathize and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, I, I understand that, that black people are afraid of the police. I've never experienced that because I am the police. You know? <laughs> I've, you know, but driving down the street in my truck, if I see a police car behind me, yeah, I, I tense up because even though I'm the police, I still tense up. I don't want to get pulled over. Just hold your badge out the window. Yeah, you know, yeah it's like... exactly. But that's just, you know, nobody wants to get caught doing anything wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, when it happens, you just got to deal with it. But so, all, all it takes is just having an open and honest dialogue. Do these dialogues happen... In, in some of your meetings are, are, you know, the police chief, have they addressed this in Oklahoma City? Has, has there been a conversation about what happened in Dallas? Has there been a conversation in Oklahoma City? Uh, yeah, I believe the, our chief uh, did a statement about it last night. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, he did a statement at headquarters last night, and I believe it was on the news, and I believe it's on our Facebook page. I, I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But we, uh, we as a department, we... 
we take community relations very seriously. And so each division has a community relations police officer. And his sole function is to go out into the communities within that division and, and try and create a bond between our officers and those communities. So he can only do so much. It also takes us because we're the ones actually in the communities. We're driving around. We're taking calls. We're the ones actually dealing with you all when you need us. So it, it, it takes, you know, something on our part too. But at the same time, you all as citizens have to understand that it's not an easy job. You know, like I said a couple of nights ago, I just listened to one of my friends yelling the radio shots fired. And after we dealt with that, after we, you know, got into a group and walked through an apartment complex with our guns out looking for four people who just murdered a guy, I had to go take a welfare check on, on just a regular family. And so I had to put those feelings away and deal with this. And then after that, I've got to go take a domestic call with two drunk people who don't know how to act like adults. And so just two hours ago, I'm listening to my, one of my best friends say, shots fired, and now I've got to deal with these, these drunk people who are, who are upset at me because I won't kick them out of their own houses. And then after that, I've got to go take a larceny report, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry your iPhone got stolen, but you don't know what I just left. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking for somebody that was shooting at police. Um, so Josh, help us, the, the debate, I don't know how many of you have, have delved into this, but I've spent most of the, ever since the shootings, just reading and studying and researching, and there's a great debate of, you know, the, 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 the Black, Life, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and uh, then people will say all lives matter, which seems to negate Black Lives Matter. My estimation, lives matter. <laughs> lives matter. And now with that said, I think empathy has to be shown on both sides. There must be, uh, you know, you put yourself in the position, if you're white, and some of you are lily white. Uh, I don't know if the lack of pigmentation makes that much difference, but you're so freaking white. And so um, you're almost transparent. Um, and I'm sure that you and I may not know how this feels. now the, I was telling Josh, I've been in this scenario because I lived in Africa, and you talk about standing out. Uh, you know, last year I lived in Africa for, for over three months, and, and the great joy, I was telling Josh, I never once in that time even felt white, never felt that. Now, there were times I got pulled over. <laughs> I wanted to start a White Lives Matter in Lesotho, and... Uh, no, I, I did. I got pulled over, and, and, and uh, you have to understand Africa a little bit that um, I don't think they were profiling me. Maybe they were. I don't know. But they, were, they, they pulled me over, and, and it was a traffic stop. They didn't pull me over. They, they, it's a pretty poor country. So what they do is they take bribes. That, that's the whole purpose because they don't have money. So they say, well, you know, we're going to take you to jail. That's exactly what they said. Now, being old enough to have lived enough life where I didn't really think, well, you don't have much to live anyway, you just kill me. And I said, I said, well, good luck with that. I'm not going to jail. Now, it wasn't, I, I knew the system, okay? I knew the system. I knew what they were doing. 
and they were trying to get bribes. They didn't have a police car there. So what, are we going to take a horse? I mean, I wasn't sure how this was going to work. But in that moment, you've got to understand, it is, it is a, it's a scary moment. And so you, here in America, we have, we have a similar situation still happening. And, and I was telling Josh that, um, you know, I've, I've always followed Martin Luther King Jr. because I felt like a lot of things he had to say were really good. And, and I've preached sermons from his sermons. And, of course, the debate there amongst all people is, you know, there was some flandering and things in his life. Folks, this is not about perfect people. This is about truth. That's what this is about, truth. And if you're trying to look for skeletons in the closet, don't go home and open your closet. Because, trust me, you've got them. So, when we look at truth, which I believe Dr. King spoke a lot of truth, and I posted a couple of things that he had written in a couple of speeches because I, I think it's important to understand that um, what he was trying to do was to elevate uh, us to a higher understanding of we all bleed red. You don't matter care what color your skin is, we all bleed red. And, and, and at the end of the day, uh, there has to be a sensitivity and, and an, a, a desire to empathize with what's going on in our country. I refuse to allow race to divide us. That's why we're here today. And, and, and there is really, in God's eyes, only one race. It's called the human race. And so we have to start looking. And as a church, you guys know me. It's most of you know me. And it's always been my desire to love all people. And, and to me, it's not a race as much a race issue as a cultural issue. I was telling Josh in Lesotho, the Sasotho people, it's a very unique country south of Johannesburg. And it's very rare because about 95 plus percent of the population are Sasotho. But there is a, a, a segment in there of 5% that, that is not Sasutu. But they're all black. The interesting thing that we noticed was that the tribes clash. And it has nothing to do with skin color. It has everything to do with culture. But in America, we don't get to see that. But I got to see it firsthand there. And what I realized was that's really what's happening in America is we have cultural issues and and then we've we put we put color on the culture this guy right here like I said I've known him most of his life and 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 you know some people are offended by say I don't I don't see black and that would offend some people and and, and that would make other people feel good but the beautiful thing about about our our country is the beauty of color and diversity. It's a beautiful portrait. It's a mosaic portrait. It's God's portrait. So Josh, just take a minute and, and speak to us from the side of, I'm a black citizen in America. Then from the side of, I'm a black officer in America. Uh. As a black citizen, 
You know, I, it feels weird, I've, I've never said that, you know. <laughs> I haven't, because that, that's not how I was raised. My parents didn't raise me as a black kid, they raised me as their son, you know. It's good, Josh. So, so I, I can't say that I, I go through life uh, viewing it as a, a, a black man in America, because I, I, I don't consider myself a black man in America, I just consider myself a man in America. Um, the, the fact that people are so defined by the color of their skin, is, it, it's sad. You know, That's a good uh, point. It's like I told you earlier, I, throughout my entire life I've had people say, you're the, blackest, you're the whitest black guy I know. You know, what, what does that mean? <laughs> You know, am I am I the whitest black guy you know because of the way I talk? What? Because I you don't wear saggy pants. Yeah, I don't wear saggy what, pants. That's what you told me. Yeah. I I articulate my words. Does that make me less black just because I don't have gold teeth in my mouth? Is that is that what black is to people? I don't understand that. We're we're so much more than that. You know, it's it's a tragedy that that uh, you know these two shootings have happened but people want to make it about a black man being killed by the police. No, it's a man was killed by the police. Mm. Okay. What does it have to do with him being black? Absolutely nothing. As a black police officer in America, I'll tell you this, I don't get paid a lot of money. <laughs> Neither do my friends. Okay, so we don't work crappy hours for little pay away from our families to, to, take, to take out some kind of pent up racial frustration, it's not worth it. We do this because we love you all. We do this because we love our families. Okay? The, same, the same guys that we were looking for who just shot at and robbed a woman and then shot and killed another man as he was walking out of his apartment complex and ran, you know what, I'd put them in jail, but at the same time if somebody was shooting at them, I'd risk my life to protect them because they're people just like me. And I'll guarantee you that's the same heart of 99% of the police officers in this country. They don't care what color you are. They don't care what you've done. Yeah, we're going to bring you to justice if you've done something wrong, but we don't care what you've done. And I told somebody that the other night. I, I don't care what you did because, honestly, in an hour, I'm not going to think about you again. I'm going to move on to the next call and then the next one, and I'm not going to think about you anymore. I don't care what you did. My job is to bring you to justice, and that's what I've done. It doesn't matter that you're black. All I care about is what you did and what I have to do because of that. So just understand that we're not against you guys. We're here for you. We love you. We love your families. That's why we protect you. That's why I work 9.30 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. driving around the streets. That's why I go down to 10th Street and I deal with all the people down there because I love you all. I think the great challenge that we face is that we're, we're pulled on to take sides. And um, when, when you take a side, uh, that means you are in opposition. You are opposed to someone or something or some group. 
this is the reason I wanted Josh to come today because I'm, I'm so concerned that if, if society continues to vilify police officers, we'll have none. If we have none, none you think we have chaos now. If we don't have these guys, we're in real trouble. So, I don't know how many of you have eaten at a franchised restaurant where you got a bad hamburger, you got, you got some soggy fries. That doesn't make every other restaurant in that franchise a bad restaurant. And yet we may judge tens of thousands of those restaurants with the big M. Uh, <laughs> because one restaurant had some disgruntled employees who didn't care about your food you know you're going to eat I promise you if you get hungry enough you're going to eat and you're probably going to eat at a big M again because they're everywhere and trust me if you go to another country that big M is like the greatest steakhouse in America (laughs) and you know why it's like a greatest steakhouse in America because you trust it there's just in that moment in that foreign country in that difficult place trust me I look for the big M because I don't know what I'm getting in some of the local restaurants you know if it's a dog I don't know and so all of a sudden your attitude changes because of necessity let me tell you something when your house is being broken into and you just had a conversation for the last week about how much you hate police officers don't bother calling 911. Did that come out right? <laughs> because, you know, every, I mean, I've gotten, you guys know I drive fast. I've gotten plenty of tickets. Yeah, thank you very little. And, uh, you know, when an officer walks up to my window and he goes, don't ever do this, Josh. Don't ever do this. Do you know why I pulled you over? I want to look and say, it's not my job. <laughs> to know why you pulled me over. (laughs) Give me a freaking ticket and let me go. Anyway, so, (laughs) but you know, they ask that question. And so you get the ticket, you go home, and and for a moment, for a season, until the ticket's paid and maybe days after, you have this bad taste about police officers. But think about this. What happens if they're not there and your home's being broken into and you have a need? Folks, look, all I'm saying is this. I think there's injustice. Do I think some of the things that have happened have been wrong? Yes, I do. But I'm not going to hate this man because of one action in Minnesota or in Louisiana. I'm never going to hate this man. And so the thing that we have to, to realize is we live in a fallen world. We're all affected by a sin nature we all make mistakes that's going to continue should we stop trying to bring healing and hope absolutely not that's why we're here today I wanted to preach beg God let me preach then I thought you know what we're going to dedicate this day to praying here in just a moment for the precious families who lost a father, a husband, a friend in Minnesota and Louisiana. We're going to pray for them.
because I can only imagine how difficult it will be for them to overcome the prejudice they have toward law enforcement. I wouldn't even fault them for that. They're going to have to deal with that the rest of their lives. At the same time, the families, the husbands, the fathers that were killed in Dallas, police officers, I've got to pray for them. And I've got to pray for those families that they don't become racist toward a black man who killed their their father. Let me tell you, hurting people hurt people. This is a result of great pain. And the only hope we have is not found in our intelligence, our wisdom and our knowledge, but it's found in the love of God for all of us. We're all going to die someday, and we're all going to die some way. Maybe prematurely, but what is prematurely? When I die, I don't think I'll die prematurely. It will be my time to die. Hopefully, I don't die maybe in some ways that we've seen, but that's possible. That is possible. You don't know, and you don't get to pick, and neither do I. So at the end of this day, my prayer would be this. I'm not asking you to agree with the police or Black Lives Matter. I'm just asking in spite of the differences is that we can find a way to love. That's what I'm asking. Because at the end of the day, love is the only thing that never fails. It's all we have is, is love. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult. When you get my age, I think sometimes you don't matter so much because you just say, you know what, I'm going to love everybody. I've tried the other side of things, and I can see both sides of this. I really can. The problem is I, I don't have an answer for you other than love. It's the only answer I've got for you. I can't tell you how to respond, react. Love. And, and don't, it, please don't get in arguments. If, if, if there's a black person talking to you and you, they're, they're, they're maybe saying things that, that don't settle well with you, trust me, if you'll listen and you'll simply respond with, that must be the worst thing possible. What you're feeling right now must be the hardest thing that I, I can't even imagine. That must be very difficult for you. Let me tell you something. People want to be heard and people want us to feel with them sometimes they're not even trying to justify their feelings they're just trying to I don't know how to reconcile this look you don't have to have all the answers I don't have to have the answers I have to have love I have to have empathy I have to have compassion that's don't try to refute someone whose emotions are going wild it's the worst thing you can do and the worst thing I can do validate how they're feeling validate that if I were to sit down and have a conversation with that precious woman who lost her husband in Minnesota, I wouldn't try to tell her, look, this is not a racial issue. I would let her tell me, if this, that's what it is, honey, I'm sorry. You, I'm so sorry for you because it's going to take some time. So don't try to fix it. Don't try to defend it. Don't try to refute it. Try to love the people right where they are, what they're going through because that's all we can do. It's all we can do. And maybe you've never had to address this issue, but we're close enough to the South where I can promise you 
that, that this is probably a, even a greater issue the further south we go. And I want us as a church, and I will never pastor a church where, where we don't love everyone. Not just the color of his skin, but from strippers to saints, we're going to love everybody. And there are churches who've never used the word stripper in their church. But we do. Never forget one time, I was, and we'll close here in just a minute, there was, was, I was on Wednesday night at my previous church. And so an usher came up, and there were probably 1,800 people there that night on a Wednesday night. It was, it was a huge Wednesday night. And, and our ushers are not even conventional. I mean, you know, we got ushers that look like they're just on a weekend pass from jail. And, um, and so he came up to me and he said, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, a man just came in in a robe. A multicolored robe. It wasn't even like subtle. <laughs> and he said, uh, he doesn't have anything on under it. And I said, well, that scares me. How do you know that? <laughs> and he said, he said well, it kind of came open. What do we do? I, just, just, I said, just tell him to come on in, tie the belt. And so <laughs> uh, he did. I preached. And at the end of that evening, this man gave his life to Christ. So, so what happens if we don't tolerate those who are radically different than us and we, we're not patient? And you know what this man said? Honest to God, I'll never forget it. When he came forward to receive prayer, first I was saying, Jesus, please let his robe stay closed. <laughs> that was my first prayer. And, but he... This is how desperate some people are. And please understand, I believe on both sides of this issue, there are some very desperate, hurting people. He said, I was laying in bed in my robe. And he said, I heard a voice say, go just as you are, go. You guys have heard me say, I don't care how you get here, come as you are. Thank God he wasn't naked. Uh, he had a robe on. So um, I'm that guy. This is that kind of church. And that's who we are. Just as you are. And I am so grateful. And I got to tell you, I'm very honored. I, I wish I would. I'm just being very honest with you. It, it, you know, it, I don't want to pastor an all-white church because I don't believe it represents heaven. Uh, I really don't. And, you know, I, we, some of y'all need to go after the Asians. Uh, we do not have enough of the Asian population here. I don't know if that's an acceptable way to put it, but I'm put it that way. And, uh, but that's who I believe we are. And that's what I want. And I, I, I do want strippers and saints here. I do, because strippers will mess the saints up. And, and some of the saints need to be messed up. 
and shaken up and going, I can love everybody. I can love everybody. And guess what, folks? Don't have hopes that they are ever going to look like you, ever going to act like you, or ever going to talk like you. God help us. And you say, but, but isn't that the idea? No, no, we're not here to clone people. We're here to love people. And then God does all the rest, okay? So now we're going to pray. I'm going to ask Josh to pray first, and then I'm going to pray. So Josh, would you pray, and then I'll close in prayer, and we'll, we'll dismiss. Just a moment. God, we need you. It's plain and simple. We need you. We need your help. We're looking for answers. We're looking for understanding. And we may not get that. But we know that you know the purpose behind all this. We know that you're in control. We know that nothing happens outside of your control. What we may see is dirt and mud and cracks in the ground. You see beyond that. You see the beautiful flowers that bloom despite all that. So God, we pray that you just put your hand on this situation right now. We pray that you put your hand on the hearts of the people of this nation. Pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit. We humble ourselves and we give you permission to do what you want to do, God. We step out of the way and let you work. If it has to start somewhere, God, let it start with the people in this building. Yes. Let it start with this city. Because we know that just with one seed, you can do amazing things. Yes, Lord. An entire redwood tree can come from one seed. So, God, we pray that your abundance would pour out on the seeds that we're planting, the seeds of love that we're planting. Pray that you would use us to go into this community and spread your word and that people would see you when they see us. God, your name is written on us. Your authority is in us. And your word says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So right now we speak to all the division, we speak to all the strife, we speak to all the hate, and we speak the name of Jesus to all those situations. We're champions in you, God. We win because of you. In every situation, in every struggle, through every circumstance, we win because you already won. So we thank you for your power. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your love. And we step out of the way and we give you permission to move. Yes, Lord. And Father, I pray. Um, I pray for Josh. I pray, pray, Lord, for police officers from coast to coast in our nation. Lord, I pray that you would give them peace and strength, wisdom and knowledge. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would protect them, their families. Lord, we pray that uh, your presence would sweep through our country. And that, Lord, you would, you would heal the families of these who have lost loved ones, both in the black community and the fraternal order of police. They're hurting today. And uh, we pray for all of them and all of their families, God, that you would somehow do what only you can do 
and mend their broken hearts. Lord, we validate their pain, their hurt on both sides. But to answer hate with hate, murder with murder, killing with killing is not the answer at all. We know that we have to turn now. and We have to pray that our nation will turn and learn how to, to love and to forgive. Father, you know the pain of this. You watched your innocent son be brutally killed and hung on a cross. And so, Lord, as I think about his words, as he's hanging there, an innocent man, Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing may we embrace those words father forgive them father forgive us for we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory with every head bowed and every eye closed right now maybe there are those of you here that say I need God I'm not a Christian and the question that has been asked throughout millenniums what must I do to be saved certainly not act right perform right be perfect as a matter of fact the reason Christ died was because he knew we could not perform well enough we are saved by faith through grace none of us can boast and if you say what do I need to do Bible says simply call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved today I want to give you that opportunity if you say Mark please pray for me I want to be a Christian, and I'm not. And all I have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. That's correct. I want to ask you to do something just right where you're at. Just ask you to slip your hand up and put it right back down if that's you. Just slip it up and say, please pray for me. Because I'm not a Christian. Yes, thank you, sir. Are there others? Thank you. It's a very simple process, and it's going to make a profound difference. So would all of you pray this prayer with myself and gentleman who lifted his hand right now let's all pray this say father god today i call upon your name jesus i call on your name and i ask you to forgive me my sin thank you jesus